0: On this week's 51%, we'll have you planning your next adventure. Travel writer and photographer Susan Portnoy shares her experience as a solo explorer working on the road.
1: I really tend to like things that are more remote, where people aren't all the time. There's plenty of people to take photos of Paris. Antarctica was amazing.
0: Places like that. And Dr. Sharon Uffberg takes a closer look at how women are traveling with Zantera's Betsy O'Rourke. Coming up on 51%. I was standing
2: around seen in a movie. The whole world was a movie back then. I had my sunglasses on. I wanted to be seen without seeing Shiloh Lita. I wasn't really in it. I didn't really get
0: it. You're listening to 51%, a WAMC production dedicated to women's issues and experiences. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jesse King. We're in the middle of the peak travel season here in the U.S. If you haven't already taken that summer vacation, you may well be on your way. And for those of us spending the summer at home, well, it doesn't hurt to dream. After two years of either COVID-19 shutdowns or restrictions, the travel industry is certainly glad to be back in the swing of things. So today we're speaking with a pair of women who travel like it's their job. Because, well, it is. First off, we have travel writer and photographer Susan Portnoy, a.k.a. The Insatiable Traveler. Portnoy has planned adventures in almost every continent, snapping pictures of penguins in Antarctica, lions in Africa, and rural villages in South America. In addition to her blog of the same name, The Insatiable Traveler, Portnoy has contributed to a number of publications, including Newsweek, Travel Weekly, Afar, The Telegraph, and more. Portnoy says she didn't always envision herself doing the kind of work that she does now. Travel has always been one of her passions, sure, but travel photography, she says, was a bit of a fluke.
1: After the economy collapsed in 2008, I was in media uh, communications, I worked with Condé Nast and the business just started changing and I didn't like how it felt anymore. I got laid off at one point, which was fine, I'd done freelance for a long time, but that gave me some opportunity to add in a little more travel and a little more photography. And as the time went on, basically, I found myself less interested in finding new clients as I did in getting out of town and taking pictures. At one point, I just didn't want to do PR anymore. And it was a really hard, hard decision. I struggled with it a lot. But in 2018, um, I decided I'm not going to do PR. I'm going to
0: take the huge leap. And there we go. I'm curious because I'm just starting to get into photography myself. I just got what I consider, I guess, my first grown-up camera a little while ago. So I'm curious about how you went about developing your photography skills. Did you take classes or did you kind of just figure it out on your own? I would say it was about
1: 75% on my own. I did take, when I got my first DSLR, I did take a one-day, here's how to use your camera thing at the ICP International Center of Photography here in New York. And I just played around. At first, I was just kind of going with it. When things worked out, I was like, see, I don't need any really formal training. Do I need to know anything about this whole aperture thing and blah, blah, blah. And then I kind of was looking at photos online, which I did a lot of, and I, and I recommend that people do that. Um, I started finding different photographers who were doing the kind of work that I kind of hoped I could do. And I realized I needed to learn more. So. I've tried to take a workshop with someone I admire at least once a year to hone it, but then the rest has really been up to me
0: to make a lot of mistakes and find those things that work. So where have you been so far? What are some of your top destinations? Well, I always love African
1: countries. I am a big wildlife lover. So Kenya, the migration is big on my list. But I really tend to like things that are more remote where, you know, people aren't all the time. There's plenty of people to take photos of Paris. So I like going to places with indigenous cultures or something interesting. Um, I love remote. So Manitoba, Canada for polar bears. Um, I just came back from Peru, but the Mountains outside of Cusco, about three hours, three hours outside of Cusco, um, where a Quechua community was very kind to let me spend some time with them. Um, things like that. I, I like to do the different, the little strange. Antarctica. Oh, Antarctica was amazing.
0: Places like that. What kind of planning goes into these trips? Because I feel like it's one thing to go to a city where there's a lot of like resources and places to stay and ways to enter even, but you're going to some pretty remote locations. So what are your travel planning tips? How does that work getting from A to B?
1: Sure. And and it's going to be a little different for the average traveler than my situation where I'm working with let's say the tourism board and things like that on a project. So they are involved a great deal in providing me options or letting, you know, giving me um, information. So from a regular traveler's perspective, I really takes time to do some research more than just, you know, the Wikipedia of travel. I always suggest that people look at a, the tourism website, So Podunk, wherever, tourism, Google it, and you'll find something like that. And the reason I start there is they'll give you kind of a broad overview of the coolest things, and it helps you to start honing it. I like that. I don't like that. Okay, let me start looking more towards that thing. So that really helps. And then, of course, social media, right? I mean, asking your friends, that's obvious, but Facebook groups have some great ones for almost everything travel and photography just photography just travel specific locations so it's all about really doing the research and then
0: how to get there really kind of becomes falls into place when it comes to solo travel do you have any advice on that front i feel like there's a lot of women who may be interested in solo travel i think myself included but there's always that hesitance because you know the world is a scary place
1: Yes, it can be. Um, Thankfully, it hasn't been on my travels. I think one of the things that people think is that if you're traveling solo, that means you're isolated, that you are completely alone. And that isn't necessarily the case. I recommend that people who want to get that sense of independence, but don't want to be by themselves in the middle of a new city is to take a tour. You're still traveling by yourself, you're meeting new people, you, you know, there's, you're learning how to sort of navigate that scenario. And it's a really great way to put your toe in the water without having things get overwhelming right away. Um, I always recommend that someone work with a travel agent because they can really suggest destinations and aspects of travel that are better for solo travelers safer, more interesting, things like that. But of course, I pay attention to my surroundings. I rarely, if ever, drink when I'm by myself. Uh, I don't want to get into any kind of compromising situation where I can't be my full cognitive self. I make sure that if I am staying at an Airbnb or a hotel or what have you, that it's not you know, totally in some place that I can't be helped if I need it. I always get travel insurance. That is huge. You get hurt, something happens. I cannot tell you how many people I know who've had troubles during their trips and didn't have travel insurance, and it's cost them thousands upon thousands of dollars. There are a lot of different things you can do in terms of people use doorstops in hotels, inside their room so that people can't get in. It's you know really making sure that you have an idea. Um, if you're staying in a hotel, ask the front desk, ask the concierge if there is one, is this area okay? Can I walk there at night? They don't want you getting hurt. They'll tell you the truth. Um, always take a hotel's business card with you. Uh, that way, if you're in a place that uh, doesn't speak your language, you can hail a cab, Um, or an Uber and show them the business card and it'll get you back to where you need to be and you don't have to worry about translation.
0: What's the behind the scenes work of it like? You mentioned that you often work alongside tourism departments and agencies. How do you go about finding some of these deals? And I guess once you have the photos, are you taking the freelance approach and kind of pitching them to different places or is it all figured out beforehand?
1: Yes, meaning all of that is possible. For example, there's um, a company called Intrepid Travel that I'm going to be working with in Yellowstone. I appreciate the company. I haven't worked with them yet, but I appreciate what they do, their commitment to sustainability and communities and things like that. So I put together a little photographic media kit, I guess you could say, and suggested, hey, I hope we can work together. Here's kind of what I do. And here are bylines in magazines. Here are photos from my gallery. Can we talk? And it it took a while basically because of COVID, but they said, let's try this. Let's, let's, you know, we have trips in the United States that are new to us and that we need content. So I'll be going on this trip as a regular traveler, quote unquote. And They'll get pictures at the end. And I'm also writing my experiences for a blog post. That's one way it can happen. In Peru, I haven't yet, but I'm going to go to the Peru tourism board and say, hey, here's a bunch of photos. Do you need anything for your marketing? Often they'll choose a few that they can use. Uh, I've had it where people have reached out to me. I like that better. It's more fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's <laughs> less work for me when they come to me. So there's all kinds of different scenarios in this thing. And there's also a lot of different revenue streams from selling prints to selling photos to, you know, writing pieces that all add into sort of your yearly income. It's not any one fire hose of a stream. I wish it were.
0: This is a kind of a broad question, I guess, but what advice do you have for those trying to get better in their travel photography, or even if they're trying to pursue it as a career? What do you wish you had known?
1: It's all about making mistakes. And it sounds so cliche, but it's so true. I look at photos. You want to start looking at different types of photos, different angles, different lighting, and... Train yourself to try to see those things in your environment. Um, at first, you can copy lighting and say, okay, this was done at a window just like this. And you understand how to take that photo. And then later on, you'll put your own spin to it. Being better is really just about doing it. I mean, I can tell you during COVID, I wasn't out and I got really rusty. The first thing I did, I was like, what's this camera? <laughs> it was very hard. I I, re- I wasn't as fast. I was a little out of practice on my manual operations. Anyone can kind of lose their edge. So if you want to be better at travel photography, you want to make sure that you're playing with it, but also recognize that travel photography is really like saying it's everything photography. If you're with people, it's portraiture. If you're, you know, out in Yellowstone, it's going to be landscape and on and on and on. So you really want to have some kind of proficiency in these so that you can, for yourself, have the kind of images you want. As a professional, I have to. I have to practice things that I don't feel as comfortable with or maybe are not my favorite, but I need to be able to offer that option to a client if the destination calls for it. One thing that I am so happy that I did is that in my corporate field, I saved money. You know, I, I went free I went freelancing full-time in this career at the end of 2018, which meant I just got going in 2019 before COVID. I really didn't have a lot of time to, you know, move and shake. I'd made all these great trips and things like that. If I hadn't had money, to dip into, I really would have been screwed. And I can't tell you how many friends, whether it's in photography, travel writing, or what have you, um, who didn't think about the future had a really rough time. But who in a million years thought the concept of traveling would stop? It's bizarre, but you've got to prepare for the bizarre. And I'm you know, really glad I did. I don't love that I had to go into my savings, but at least I had it. And so if you're going to make a jump, please wait until you've accrued some cash uh, so that you can comfortably make mistakes, comfortably deal with uh, downturns in the market and save yourself a lot of agony.
0: I think that's really worth pointing out. Thank you. Is there a trip that particularly sticks out to you or a moment where you finally got that photo you were looking for?
1: Yes, to both. To answer the first question, I love different locations for different reasons. There's not, this is the, you know, penultimate place. I have really enjoyed polar regions because they're so surreal. And I like that idea. And because some of the coolest people and animals live in those areas, As I mentioned, I I adore Africa and Kenya and Botswana and all the wonderful sites that you can have there Uh, for people. I had an amazing, amazing time in Mongolia with Kazakh nomads in the Altai Mountains. So it depends on sort of the subject. And then I can probably come up with the favorite place thus far. A lot of times it ends up being the last place I was in. You know, the one thing about travel is there's always something new to see and something new to think about. And with photography, that's a given. You want to try to find ways to make sort of the average thing or even a fabulous thing, but you want to shoot it in different ways so that you can kind of put your own personal style and spin on it. You know, so it keeps you looking and keeps you thinking.
0: Susan Portnoy is a freelance travel writer and photographer. She's got more tales of adventure, photography tips, and gear reviews on her blog, that's the insatiabletraveler.com. You can also find some of her work on Instagram at insatiabletraveler. Susan, thanks for joining us today.
1: You got it, Jesse. Thank you.
0: While travel is bouncing back from the coronavirus pandemic, some of the reasons and ways we travel have changed. As our next guest will tell us, a lot of people are still looking for socially distant vacation ideas like camping and road trips. And with many offices choosing to continue remote work practices, some travelers are really looking for long-term work-cations or work or work-from-hotel setups. Betsy O'Rourke is the chief marketing officer for the Xantera Travel Collection, a group of hospitality and travel companies based in Colorado, with a focus on cruises and resorts in U.S. national parks. O'Rourke herself has spent more than 25 years both working and watching the travel industry. She shared some of her insights with Dr. Sharon Uffberg, co-founder of the California-based personal development and wellness company Borrowed Wisdom for her 51% segment, Force of Nature.
3: So it really depends on where you are in your life cycle, whether you're booking for, you know, a family with small children or you're single and traveling with a girlfriend. But the other stat that I think is important to remember is that um, almost half of all women 65 and older are, uh, quote, unquote, unpartnered or single. And these are women um, who are very healthy, uh, often affluent and super active. So that's the segment that I think is the most interesting from a new perspective. These are women who are searching for very immersive activities and often with each other, but sometimes, you know, willing to go solo. And when they start out going solo, often starting in a
4: group. So this idea of active travel is very interesting it appears that women are really looking for something undiscovered. Are you finding women are seeking out that kind of travel experience? Yes, and this is true of all ages, right? I mean, we're seeing it from, you know,
3: the 20-somethings all the way into the 65-plusers who are looking for what we would call an authentic, genuine experience. So often, you know, the older folks have been there, done that. They've been to the major capitals. They've done a lot of the cultural you know, museums and those sorts of tours. But now they're looking for those small towns, those villages, the local lifestyle, interacting with local folks, eating local foods, taking cooking classes, and sometimes staying longer, you know, what I would call slower travel, like going to one place and staying there.
4: What do you see most important for women travelers? What are the top three issues for women that you see today?
3: Well, first and foremost, particularly if it's women traveling alone, it's safety. Um, I mean, that will always be number one. People need to feel that wherever they're going, they're going to be protected and in a safe environment. Secondly, if they're joining a, a group, whether they're solo or with friends, that the other people in the group are like-minded travelers. I mean, people find that really interesting. They make lifelong friendships it's lots of fun to be around other people who are enjoying the same things and sharing your same viewpoint. And, you know, the third, I mean, is always about the destination and that experience. So what are they going to discover that's new, you know, whether it's uh, a new recipe or a new meal or a new friend, uh, a new experience, but it's something that's going to be new and meaningful that they're going to take home with them and remember forever.
4: It's so true about making the travel more meaningful. I'm always looking for the most options. Can I take a self-guided tour versus a guided tour? This idea of choice is very popular for women to get the exact trip they have on their bucket list.
3: It's really true. It's a great point. Choice, right? And we, we've we tried to provide choice all in every one of our experiences. So If you're on, I mean, and actually it's interesting that you mentioned self-guided because we introduced self-guided hiking and self-guided biking in the last couple of years, and they've both taken off because for many people, they would rather do their own thing but, again, have the comfort of having someone transfer their luggage and a phone number to call if, you know, they need anything and they get, you know, route maps all figured out for them. So. The hard work of planning is taken care of, and then while you're on the trip, you have this backup. But, you know, they're choosing to be with their own group without mixing into people that they they don't know yet. So it's been a very, very popular thing. And we also find this in cruise, right, on our Windstar Cruises. You know, these are small ships, and we find that people really mix and mingle, but we have lots of choices in terms of shore excursions from you know, private shore excursions to those that have, you know, small groups to those that are a little bit larger. They have, there are three different types that you can choose. And some people just choose to literally not get off the yacht and use the sports platform and swim and hang out all day. So it's, it's you design the vacation that makes the most sense for you.
4: I know that part of your travel collection is the national parks lodging. I'm wondering if you could talk a little about the popularity of the national parks, even more so since the pandemic, and what has changed in that particular travel market?
3: Well, first of all, in the past couple of years, because our borders have been closed, there are no international or very, very few international visitors. So it is primarily Americans, and as you said, driving trips have always been, you know, the most favored form of transportation, and and in COVID in particular, because, you know, you have more control over your environment, and control is a very important part of travel uh, during COVID in particular. These parks are just, they're gorgeous. There's so much activity, there's history, Uh, depending on what kind of a traveler you are, you can be as active and take, you know, some very serious hikes to, you know, just following lovely paths along a river that aren't, you know, difficult at all. So people can design their own trips and uh, we provide a lot of advice, (laughs) but it gives people to your point backwards on choice. You know, you can choose how you want to spend your time in any of our national parks.
4: When you discuss the national parks, I assume the labor shortage has greatly affected the national park staffing. Can you also touch on the job opportunities for women in the workforce in the travel and tourism industry today? Sure.
3: Well, on the first point about labor in the parks, I mean, this is true of all of hospitality. It's been a really tough time. I mean, hiring folks uh, and particularly to live in remote locations. And we've in the past benefited from having a number of international students who come uh, on limited time visas and work in the national parks for the joy of being able to work in such a special setting. And in their off time, they're out, you know, fishing, hiking, boating, et cetera. So, yeah, it, have, it definitely had an impact on our services. The other thing that was interesting is what sold first is campgrounds and RV sites. And, again, this goes back to this idea of control. Usually our rooms sell first, but in many locations we actually saw the campsites and RV sites go first in terms of opportunities you know honestly in my lifetime i haven't seen such a great job market and particularly in the hospitality business and i think there's some misunderstanding about the career opportunities that one has in this business i mean there are stories after story of people who started you know working at a front desk or as a bellman who go on to be the ceos of the of the whole company Um, The growth opportunities for those who are seeking them are quite significant and fast. The other thing that, you know, we find is particularly for working parents, there are so many jobs that offer flexible schedules, and um, that's a real benefit to many working families so that people can choose shifts that work for them, whether they're part-time, full-time, or sometime in between, you know depending on the hours that you have available. Um, so I, I encourage people to look at travel and hospitality. I've spent my entire career in it and I'm, I just I feel so lucky to have been part of this industry.
4: Do you have one last piece of advice for a woman listening that may be interested in a career in the travel industry? What would you tell her? Oh
3: gosh! That's such a broad question. Um, I mean, literally anything you want to do exists in this business. I mean, I came up through p r sales and marketing and promotions. I came up on that side, but i my very first job was working at a resort hotel, the Hilton Hotel in Malta, and I was in guest services, and it was that I got hooked. <laughs> So I started at the property level, and then you know decided that that was what I wanted to do, and and moved into a role, uh, an entry level role at a corporation. But there are so many paths. I mean, whether it's in conference services or in guest relations or operations, um, you know, in a hotel. But you know, fast forward if you want to be a guide you know, for a tour company or you want to be uh, somebody who's working uh, in food and beverage. Every functional area exists within travel and tourism. But the, the wonderful thing about this industry is you know that everyone who you're serving as a guest is getting a direct benefit from your product. They're learning and growing and uh, experiencing something new. There's something so fulfilling about that.
4: That was Betsy O'Rourke, Chief Marketing Officer for Zantara Travel Collection. And this is Dr. Sharon Uffberg on Force of Nature for 51%.
0: You've been listening to 51%. 51% is a national production of WAMC, Northeast Public Radio. It's produced by me, Jesse King. Our executive producer is Dr. Alan Shartok, and our theme is Lolita by the Albany-based artist Girl Blue. A big thanks to Susan Portnoy, Betsy O'Rourke, and Dr. Sharon Uffberg for taking part in this week's episode. To learn more about our guests and the show, check us out at wamcpodcast.org. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at 51% Radio. Let us know what you think, and if you have a story you'd like to share as well. Until next week, happy trails. I'm Jesse King for
2: 51%. I was every single girl. I was nobody else. I was so sure of myself. So. I was 15 and a half. Yeah. He was a hollow laugh. And I lost my cool somewhere along the way. The night met on the hall. Spaku